Welcome to the Sales Mindset Podcast. I'm here with uh, Dr. Dennis D. Pasquale, and I'm Brian Gurgis. Today, we're going to sit down, have a beer, and talk about some sales. So, as usual, we're going to open up with a starting question here and see where it goes. All right. Surprise me. So, what is it that you look for in a new salesperson, or slash bringing on talent and help? And what can you learn in an interview or that initial conversation that would have you want to bring someone on? All right. Easy stuff is grit, mm-hmm. uh, the desire to work, the passion to to do what we want to do, right? So you, you saw that I put the culture statement out there on our documents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole objective of what I do, whether it's my speaking, my executive coaching, my the, the sales training or anything I do at the university is helping people grow in their self-confidence to be who they are. I think sales is just a, a, a good way to do that. So the yeah. first thing is that they have that kind of mindset, that they are looking to, to do the same thing because otherwise they're only extrinsically motivated. Mm. So here I'm looking for what's called an intrinsic motivation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. um, now, maybe they're not the smoothest person. Maybe they don't have good sales experience. Maybe they're not used to grinding. Mm-hmm. What I have found is the foundational mindsets that we teach in the Sales Mindset Academy, the emotional intelligence, the locus of control, the internal locus of control, and the grit and resilience, that can be trained up. Mm-hmm. All the all the, all the soft skills can be trained up. It's not as easy, but as long as there's a desire to train them, yeah. a desire to improve them, then they can be improved. And so... I'm going to be looking for that. So I'm looking for this desire to better people, to to push our vision of more confidence, more self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Then I'm looking for those three core mindsets of emotional intelligence, grit, and locus of control. If you've got those, you can learn how to sell. Yeah, you yeah. can learn the product. You can learn you can learn particle physics if yeah, you, you wanted to anything. learn that that stuff. And so lacking those skills, the desire to improve those skills, the growth mindset mm-hmm. of improving those particular skills. Uh, and I've seen it. I've yeah. done it. I've worked with students before. I've worked with people before. And sometimes just saying the right thing will help them see, oh, this is all I have to do. And of course, I say that simply, this is all I have to do. But recognizing that it's always going to be a bit of a process. So that, yeah. I think, is the general framework. start of what I would be looking for in there. Humility as well. Let's, yeah. say, let's say that someone's really good. Mm. If they're a dickhead, I don't want to work with them. I, mm. I don't want to bring them into an organization. I don't want to subject customers to them. Yeah. Uh, because that arrogance is, is no one likes that. Yeah. I think humility is one of those, what do you call it, bottom level traits or one mm-hmm. of those bottom level uh, you could even say it's a skill mm-hmm. i guess but i i would call it more of a, of a character trait and it goes to the earliest of history one of the first references in the bible or in any religious text is the concept of humility mm-hmm. like either giving to somebody else or accepting your own faults mm-hmm. and i i do believe that it's the the base level of everything else it may be everything else where as long as you are open, you have an open mind and you acknowledge your own faults or you're willing to give, you can take almost anything else mm-hmm. or be able to learn anything else. So there's a, a quote that I love and there are a number of 
philosophers or individuals who have repeated very similar things. This is uh, as phrased by Neil Bornstein. And it's the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem when it comes to arrogance or a lack of humility is this, I know who I am. Yeah. And so without that humility, without that vulnerability, uh, without that recognition that you're lacking something, we're all lacking something. Yeah. Without that awareness of, well, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. I think you know recognizing that you can't possibly know everything. Mm-hmm. Lacking that, you're just setting yourself up for failure, sure, and a hard failure mm-hmm. because you think you know everything. I think that's one of the funniest things about getting older and growing up is there's the stereotype of the the arrogant teenager who thinks they knows what's best, <laughs> or yeah. you know the the early twenties, you know, fresh out of college business kid who is going to take over the company. The older that you get, the more your world grows, the mm-hmm. more people you meet, the more things you're exposed to, the more you realize how small it was before. And at least I've experienced that to even the smallest degree. And I'm sure that's going to keep getting bigger. And it's, it was a big reality check. I'm like, oh shit, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, everyone my age was a dick at some point in time. Even yeah, if yeah. Re- even if they seem like a genuine uh-huh. humil- humi- like person with humility. I, I am guilty of this myself. Yeah. You know, I, I thought I knew far more than the 40-year-olds and the 60-year-olds uh, mm-hmm. of the time when I was 20-something years old. And whew, is it a is it a humbling experience yeah. when you discover <laughs> otherwise? To bring humility back into it. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something you, you learn slowly. And I, I don't know where it, it, the... the this idea of someone who's 15 saying they know better than someone who's in their forties, yeah. you know, where they, where that happened. Cause I, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's been in fictionalized, not represented so well, but, um, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, the average 15 year old and 20 year old doesn't have something valuable in terms of oh, insight to offer, yeah. you know, the phrase, and it's going to sound condescending, but out of the mouths of babes mm. is there for a reason. Sure. You know, out of the mouths of our youth sometimes come things that in our stodgy old age, we stopped thinking about. And I think that's yeah. equally as important. I think you can see older individuals are so stuck in what they think they know as well yeah. from their experience. Uh, and I'll say this, you know, when I when I work with students who are in charge of organizations, one of the cautions I give them is just because something didn't work in the past doesn't mean it's not going to work now. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's sometimes important for folks within my age group as well to sit down there and say, oh, okay, that might work now even though it didn't work then. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, uh, knowledge does tend to get lost. And so there is value to be had by sitting there and talking to someone who's a little older than you that has a perspective that you might not see and you see that a lot in in the news today and and just the assumptions people make there's a new song that came out and it's on the heels of jason aldean's song in a small town so have Mm -hmm. you heard of that i don't i don't think so okay it's in it's it's in a small town it's that's a bit more adversarial Mm -hmm. so that's obviously raised the hackles of a certain political side of things but this new one that came out is just about the struggles of being uh, not of means from the rural South. 
and it's called Rich Men North of Richmond. Mm-hmm. And it's basically these people in Washington making decisions without understanding what it's like to be us. Sure. And I think there's a bit of arrogance in that as well. This, mm-hmm. I come from this per- big city perspective. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just fall in line to what we are instead mm-hmm. of understanding that there's it's different different ways of sure. thinking. It goes both ways as well, that mm. the interconnected community culture, you know, they'll they'll say fooey to anything big city or or very impersonal mm-hmm. as well and dismiss it as exclusively impersonal without acknowledging the positives that oh, come from that. Oh, yeah, this as well. goes both ways. This yeah. goes both ways. It's fun um when you well not fun, but ironic, <laughs> funny, uh in my terms room. There's a theory of politics called the horseshoe theory of politics. Mm-hmm. And at the extremes, which you think is far left and far right, mm-hmm. you think that they're, the, the, the impressions, they're so far away from each other, yeah. they're actually getting so much closer to each sure, other, sure. except just from their own ideological bent. Yeah. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. I think that the same thing, the, the extreme rural wants to be secluded type person doesn't understand the value of living in urban living as well. Mm-hmm. We're getting out of sales, aren't yeah, we? Are, yeah, we are getting out of sales. While we're still on the off topic, though, I just got reminded of this. I, I was just recently in Quinter, Kansas, which, if you've heard of it, nobody else has either, except for the people that live in Quinter, Kansas, and yeah. people that broke down in Quinter, Kansas, like we did. Mm-hmm. Town of five, ten people, probably, you know, somewhere in those lines. Someone's pregnant, probably giving birth to the 11th. And we... Population up by 1%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got... A lot of help there is everybody was super nice. Mm-hmm. We called the only tow place and we we're like, hello, we need to tow. And like, oh, yeah, sure. I can be right over there in like 10 minutes. And then they picked us up in like a half hour. Or so we got there and at six o'clock sharp, we heard like air raid sirens. It sounded like there was a tornado going off. We were like, like uh, hey, what the hell is that? <laughs> like tornado? It's like, no, man, that's a, that's a sofa room. I'm, like, I'm sorry. What was that? Like the mechanic archetype that spoke exclusively in grunts said to us, uh, that's the supper bell. You know, the thing that goes off when it's dinner time and you want to call the kids Oh wow! in from home. He's like, oh, you don't know, uh, you guys know the supper bell where you're from? I'm like, no, man, you're actually the last ones. That's crazy. <laughs> and it was at this funny detachment from, I guess, daily, uh, the, the average, the average city. But also they were very knowledgeable and, and kind of, like super quick about everything as well in the same way, and I guess it's kind of that that connection where we thought it was kind of silly coming in like oh this dumb small town and we had this like quaint dinner bell thing, but they absolutely killed it with their service. And if I'm yeah. ever in Quinter, Kansas again, I'd love to stop by and say hi. So our version of that in the city was uh, not so much a supper bell, but when the streetlights come on, time to come home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe you got that in the the suburban areas as well. I remember you telling me the story, and I yeah. think one of the real big hallmarks of that is that. Everyone knows everyone, so yeah. they're a little bit more on their game, but treating each other, you have to treat each other with respect, Yeah, and that's why the sales, I think, work, and the, the referral sales actually worked in that situation, uh-huh. because of all the relationships that are established Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when it comes to, to setting all that up. Uh, locally here, there's a bike shop that I knew the owner, good friends with the owner, <laughs> And I'll mute that out, but, um, dog flapping her ears. No, Tina wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, listeners, we have a dog here. <laughs> She's usually pretty quiet, but anyway, um, 
he sold the business to go move with his, his wife down south so that she could have her career. Mm-hmm. And it's a little harder for me to go there instead of just buying something on Amazon now. Yeah. Because I've yeah. lost that that connection. I've tried to regain it because I want to support local. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's in such a busy spot of town that it makes it hard. Uh-huh. I actually just had a experience kind of similar to that i mean not in the sense of somebody leaving but i my, my laptop broke the other day mm-hmm. and i went on google and i was like laptop repair places i figured it was kind of totally broken it was just the display apparently it's a known issue with the apple laptops mm-hmm. not to you know out apple like that but yeah yeah no, we, we love the mac we really do <laughs> i just I, I unfortunately ordered another one i'm still in the ecosphere but i i looked up this place this really small I had never even heard of it. It is it's on Second Avenue for for your own understanding. It's on Second Avenue and Thirty Fourth, like Southwest Second Avenue. Mm-hmm. You know where Dos Papas used to be, the Mexican place there mm-hmm. where we went. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. on the backside of that building, facing a parking lot and trees. You oh. can't see it for those that are listening. You barely know it's there. Mm-hmm. It was called Impact Computers. Oh, I have seen it. There's oh, some trails that I that I've run back. There oh yeah, you'll pop up and I, and I remember. Yeah. Okay. Go. But I, I love them so much, and I they have some notoriety. They have frequent customers, which I, I saw their like Facebook page and whatnot, and they have a steady flow of inventory. They're on the map, but they don't follow the general. You know, you can see them from the road or nice modern sign type of average marketing, but they work so well, it seems, on referral, word of mouth, and just general prestige, where I just looked them up and they had great reviews, so I went and I met them, and they greeted me with a smile, like, oh, hey, uh, so good to see you, and they weren't able to help me, but he gave me really good advice. He said, hey, listen, man, like, I don't think you should fix it. Like, it's a $600 repair. It doesn't matter if you go to me or you go to Apple where they'll charge you 800 or you go to, like, a, a reseller, like, it's just not going to be worth fixing. I think you should get a new one. And I said, I was about to leave. I'm like, hey, well, in your in your opinion, then, if I were to get a new Apple, like, I'm, or I'm planning on getting another MacBook because of what I do, I told him, like, oh, I do, like, photography, I do this type of stuff, and I there's relatively heavy use on it. What would you recommend? I was thinking about getting this. He's like, oh, that's kind of expensive, honestly. I don't think that you should go that high unless you're doing... And he went through, you know, the, all the top models of MacBooks, and he explained to me, like, why he believes in this one. It was almost like the middle tier, where it wasn't the cheapest one, but also wasn't the most expensive one, because they didn't need it. And he didn't even have one in stock. He didn't offer to sell it to me. He was like, just come back. Mm-hmm. Like, come back, and even if you just have a question. And I love that that concept. And I've, I've been trying to... I, everybody I've talked to, I'm like, oh, wait. Check out Impact Computers. If you have a problem with your computer, I want you to go and check them out. So if you're in Gainesville, go to Impact Computers. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, the value of, of that long-term relationship of not overselling. Yeah. Uh, I know in our last podcast we were talking about the ethics of that. And I think, you, again, you you in those smaller towns, that's probably what you're going to get. And that's the yeah. beauty of building up those relationships is to ensure that uh, you're not taking advantage of people. People aren't taking advantage of you. Yeah. So I guess bringing that all the way back to the traits of a salesperson then, mm. um, what we had initially said was you're kind of looking for some of those three main traits mm. of, you know, is it like EQ, internal locus of control, yeah. and that grit. So character then mm. is also a real critical trait. Yeah, yeah. How do you kind of reflect that then as, let's say you're an entrepreneur or you're somebody building the the Rolodex, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people actually know what a Rolodex is. Do you know what a Rolodex is? I, I used to have one, actually. Okay. I never use okay. it. It was for aesthetic purposes, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
honestly, how good of a judge of character are you, am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know what really to look for. Yeah. I, that's why I hired you to find good salespeople. Sure, sure. Um, making the general assumption that Brian has good character and can look for good character. So big assumption. Yeah, big, big assumption. I'm trusting you, buddy. <laughs> um, but when it comes down to the... You know, how I think it comes down to, you know, remember how I was talking before in the, in the other podcast about preparing for your errors. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same thing. How, what do I do when I realize that I've made a bad character decision? Uh, and, and yeah, I'll be straight up and honest. I've made a lot of, I've trusted people who I should not have trusted in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it definitely has burnt me. And what I try not to do not in terms of hiring, but in terms of gen- in, in general, I've tried not to allow it to burn me in terms of trusting other people. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it, it really affects, you know, the questions I ask and, you know, constantly ask someone mm-hmm. to vet them out. Uh, and of course, once someone's hired, someone's hired, you know, you were invested in that particular person. So you yeah. have to be careful about that. But if I felt that someone in our organization was doing something unethical, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always that possibility that it was a one-time mistake, but very, very low tolerance. Yeah. Very low tolerance and ensuring that there's there's negative reinforcement for doing it a second time, whether it's legal or uh, I, I don't even know at this particular point sure. in time. Um, it's a really tough question. And, uh, you know, if you're on YouTube listening to this on YouTube, I'm curious, put in the comments what you think uh, are good ways of looking for character in an interview. Uh, because, hell, I might need it. <laughs> <laughs> so how can you tell? Well, I guess you've said you, you can't tell for sure. But what is a question you might ask to look for someone's grit or to see if they have, I guess for a locus of control and EQ, it's more so the way they talk, the mm. way they talk about other people and the, the way that they refer to things that they've done. Mm-hmm. But how do you look for that grit? So let me answer, I'm going to answer locus of control and emotional intelligence. That'll give me some time to think about grit. <laughs> um, so I actually know what grit, but I want to start with this. Locus of control is I'm going to just start asking questions about you know, the, the standard behavioral questions, tell me a time when, mm-hmm. you know, and tell me a time when you failed. Mm-hmm. And so, or when something didn't, a project didn't succeed. I might sure. ask more generically like that. And what I'm going to listen for is how often they, they blame other people versus they sure. blame themselves. It's a big one. Yeah. That'll give me some, some element. I might even ask questions that have nothing to do with the business. I might try, I might use rapport mm-hmm. to get a handle on some of that as well. And that's big for understanding someone's character, yeah. especially for sales. It's so much more important even mm-hmm. than their actual background or experience because if, if their experience is great, but they can't handle themselves and right now. You know, let me let me talk about the wart on society. I'm going to look their social media up. Yeah. Um, I want to see what they talk about on social media because that, you know, based on the stuff you post, I'm going to probably get a good handle on, yeah. on your locus of control. Emotional intelligence. There are subtle ways to test impulse control. You know, like having snacks in the middle of the table and seeing how much control someone has over the ability to snack. 
Yeah. Because that's part of emo- that's impulse control, which is a component of emotional intelligence. Like in a, in an interview? Yeah. I'd probably take a snack. I mean, a snack. Maybe two. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Uh, I think it would depend on the comfort level. Yeah. But are you gonna have twenty cookies? No. Uh, you know, really, really good. Cookies. Yeah. <laughs> well, who made the cookies? Oh, that's a good point. Um, homemade cookies from grandma. I know it's tough. Right? Yeah. Um. Because that that the, well that's just impulse control, right? That that doesn't speak to the whole thing. But again, that's another tell me about a time question that I might ask to to assess how emotionally they handle things. Tell me about how you handle failure. Sure. It's going to give me an impression of emotional intelligence. How do you handle cold calling? What do you like least, least, excuse me, what do you like least about cold calling? Mm-hmm. And what do you do to cope with that? Yeah. Can you give me your emotional management. Um, conflict management is a component mm-hmm. of emotional intelligence. So talk to me about how you've managed conflict with yourself, with others and you, with others without you. In other words, as a third yeah. party. That's going to give me a handle on emotional intelligence as well. Grit. I'd have to think about the components of grit, mm-hmm. right? Who are you? Are you a salesperson? That's a component of grit. I think so. Because you own the... You are a cold caller. You yeah. are a... I hate to use the negative stereotype Wolf of Wall Street type and uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but are you a closer? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that are you the the types that's going to close every single deal again. Getting into that ethical orientation from the last podcast of uh, forcing someone into a close, but do you identify as someone who can push through the process, even if it has nothing to do with sales? Mm-hmm. So you know if they if they in their rapport build in their in you know as we're cabin it up. So oh yeah, I ru- I like to run. Oh, talk to me about that. It's it was. You know, 30 degrees this morning. Did you go for a run? Oh, no, too cold. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a grit thing. That's yeah. a grit thing. Um, so, but I'm going to ask about their ability to, to be resilient. How do you handle the grind of sales? So I'm going to ask questions that have to do with that. I can't think of any specific questions off the top of my head. But generally speaking, that's what I'm going to look for. Are you okay with, you know, pushing through some of the suck that is sales. Yeah. Some of the suck that is with any industry. Sales has suck, but every other industry has suck as well. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things with asking the questions is when you say what you're looking for, it sounds no different than any other industry even and or what anybody else would do. I think that a lot of people ask the same questions. It just comes down to like, what are you looking for in the answer? Mm. Where everybody's going to ask the question, and there's a reason that they're common and they're good. They're not bad questions. Like, tell me at a time that you experienced trouble in this or tell me at a time mm-hmm. that this happened. But it isn't even just the content of the answer. It's what did they or what tone did they say it in and how did they react to the question? It's what are what are you looking for in the answer of the yeah. question? Well, I'm looking, I'm actively listening. So I'm yeah. not just listening to the words that, that they spit out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at, you know, how their eyes move. Yeah. Because eyes can tell a lot about whether they're making something up or they're talking truthfully. The body language that they use, the the tonality of what they're doing, the emotion behind their answers can tell a lot as well. As to whether it's being made up on the scene or if it's actually coming from a real place when, when you're asking about this story that might relate grit or emotional intelligence yeah. or something like that. Sure. That's all I got. No, it's 24. 
right. Wrap it up there. Yeah, you want to wrap it up for us? Uh-huh. What episode is this? <laughs> uh, Dozen. 18, 19, 20? Uh, I don't like putting numbers in case I decide to switch them up. All right, so there we have it. That is you know, hiring traits, what to look for. Maybe for some of you guys out there, what to say in the interviews. Brian, any final thoughts on that? I think we covered a lot of really good stuff there. All right. We'll catch you next time. See you there.